0: OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
1: This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio.
0: Could a landmark decision by a Dutch court be the start of a new war against big oil? A Dutch court ruled that Royal Dutch Shell had to cut its emissions on the grounds that the oil giant is violating human rights by contributing to global warming. Joining me is environmental law professor Pat Parento of the Vermont Law School. Pat, tell us about this landmark decision.
2: It's the first time in history, in fact, that a court has ordered a private corporation to not only comply with reducing their emissions of carbon dioxide, but to a level that's literally going to require Shell to reconsider its, its entire business plan. They're not going to be able to realize the exploitation of all of the oil and gas reserves that they have on their books. That's what this decision means. It, it means changing your whole modus operandi, and, and that's really stunning. Now, it is a lower court decision in the Netherlands. It's the Hague District Court. So it will have to go to the Dutch Supreme Court the way the earlier Urgenda case did. But it's quite startling in its potential impact.
0: Can Shell accomplish what the court set out if it loses the appeal?
2: It's very uncertain, unclear as to how Shell would do this, because the most striking thing about this decision is that it includes emissions from Shell's customers, you and I people who pump their gas and drive, you know, gas-powered vehicles all over the world. Um, So Shell has to somehow figure out how to offset all of those emissions. They're they're called scope three emissions in the the jargon. Um, And nobody's ever done that. No no corporation. uh, Amazon has pledged to do something like that uh, for the emissions from its supply chain. but, But nobody's actually done it. Uh, so it's very unclear as to how Shell would actually accomplish this 45 percent reduction in its emissions by 2030, um, measured against 2019 levels.
0: And the allegation was a human rights violation?
2: It was a mix, yes. It was a, a, similar to the Urgenda case, which was the decision of the Dutch Supreme Court ordering the Dutch government. To reduce emissions uh, by 25% um, this year, last by 2020, which which the Dutch government did actually. Um, so so this one um, is is based on the same kind of European convention for the protection of human rights that the Dutch Supreme Court used in the agenda case. It also is looking at all kinds of international agreements under the Paris framework, Um, and common law, um, sort of a a sense of, you know, what's the duty of a corporation in in light of this overwhelming impact and challenge of of, of climate change? It's imposing, said this court, uh, an an extra duty of care uh, on the part of not just the government, but on the part of, of corporations that are, of course, you know, integral to both the problem itself and to solutions to the problem. So, again, you know, just unprecedented um, and and unclear exactly how this is all going to unfold.
0: So this is based on Dutch law. Is there any chance that other courts in Europe will see this the same way?
2: Well, that's an open question. Some of the Dutch scholars that I've been reading... Say that um, it could have a bearing on how other European courts look at these questions. A- another case that bears watching in this frame is the case from Portugal, the six young people in Portugal who persuaded the European Court of Human Rights to consider their charge that I think six Of the member states of the European Union, most prominently Poland, um, are guilty of exacerbating the climate problem, threatening the well-being of these young people and, and, you know, sort of bankrupting their future kind of argument. And that case is being briefed now and will be argued sometime in the next few months. So a lot of people are looking at that court and that decision. as as yet another uh, benchmark, if you will, on on climate law and its development. So there's a lot happening. The German uh, Constitutional Court uh, also recognized the rights of future generations are being threatened by climate change and have imposed some additional uh, requirements on the federal government in Germany uh, to to come up with plans to address that. Uh, We saw In Australia another uh, court in Australia has recognized once again climate change threatening future generations in the context of approving coal mines of course Australia is still producing an enormous amount of coal that it sends to China and India and other places so yeah I mean it's hard to keep track there are so many cases now moving through different courts around the world
1: the countdown has begun
0: These cases, for example, there is the kids' climate lawsuit that's been stalled. These cases aren't moving in the United States, are they?
2: Not really. The Juliana case, which was the, the original uh, youth plaintiff case, the plaintiffs in that case have gone back to the federal district court in Oregon and asked Judge Aiken to reopen the case. It was dismissed by the Ninth Circuit, but the, the, the plaintiffs are trying to get Judge Aiken to allow them to amend their complaint, and narrow the scope of remedies so that it's, you know, something that courts can actually do. And Judge Aiken has ordered the parties into mediation. That means the Justice Department and our Children's Trust, which represents these plaintiffs, uh, into mediation. So, you know, that's another piece of the puzzle. But generally, climate litigation is not going forward in any significant way in the United States. There's a lot of cases that are challenging individual fossil fuel projects, coal mines, oil and gas leases, pipelines, you know, we're seeing that all the time, but but we're not seeing any of the kinds of cases that the Shell decision indicates or this German constitutional court decision I mentioned indicate. We're not seeing anything on that level in the United States.
0: There was an instance of a first-time activist shareholder with a tiny stake in Exxon, scoring a historic win with getting two seats on the board. So is it more from within that we're going to see change than from the courts?
2: Yeah, that was that was remarkable because, you know, usually corporations at their annual meeting are able to squash these shareholder petitions. But in this case, these, these shareholder activists, you're right, were able to get two seats Um, on the board. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to change Exxon, but it certainly is an inroad into what has been a closed uh, shop or a closed board uh, for the activists. And you're also seeing more and more in the financial sector, increasing concerns and comments about the financial risks of all this investment in fossil fuels. We saw that with BlackRock, You know the largest brokerage firm that has over what seven trillion dollars in its portfolio. Um, That the head of of BlackRock saying they're going to they're they're shifting their focus to sustainability and and investments in you know newer cleaner technologies and so forth. So an awful lot happening uh, on the climate front.
0: So I want to turn to the Biden administration because environmentalists had expected a complete reversal of Trump-era legal positions, but they've been disappointed in the first months of the Biden administration.
2: Politics intrudes. (laughs) Reality intrudes. Yeah, Biden is facing tensions from both sides. On the left, the sort of progressives and the climate activists, you know, they want an end to oil and gas development right now. They want to stop all the pipelines. They want to stop oil and gas development everywhere. And Biden, during the campaign, made some promises, which he's finding hard to keep. You know, he shut down the Keystone pipeline, and that threw I don't know, several hundred or thousands of workers out of work. And so he took a shot from the unions on that. And now, most recently, The Justice Department has gone into this case in Alaska in the Arctic Petroleum Reserve and defended the decision of the Trump administration to open up the Arctic. The scuttlebutt on that is that Biden feels like he owes Lisa Murkowski, you know, one of the few Republicans who ever agrees with anything that the Democrats in the Senate want to do, and what Biden would like to do with his infrastructure bill and all these big investments, So apparently, you know, he's having to cut these deals and balance the left and the right in the way he's executing his climate policy. I will say, overall, Biden is moving in the right direction. He's not moving as aggressively as we'd hoped, but he is moving in the right direction. And he's making climate a centerpiece of his policy, foreign policy, domestic policy, fiscal policy. He is following through on that. But yeah, he's going to break some hearts along the way, I'm afraid.
0: Also, some of the positions that the Justice Department is taking. For example, in April, government lawyers pushed a court to leave intact a Trump-era rule designed to speed up reviews under the National Environmental Policy Act and argued that the NEPA rule didn't harm environmental groups anyway. So are the positions that they're taking sort of astonishing for this administration?
2: That one really troubles me because it's pretty obvious that those NEPA rules are allowing projects to be approved without the kind of rigorous examination of their impact, not just on climate, but on environment broadly, wildlife habitat, air quality, water quality, and so forth. And yeah, I mean, the Biden administration went into court and told the court, let's leave these NEPA rules on the book while we think about how to change them. And the environmentalists were saying, well, no. We need to get these rules off the books. We're not going to end up with these rules, so why leave them in place, right? So that's a curious one. And and we've not heard any explanation from the Council on Environmental Quality, which is, you know, the the, the entity that actually manages the NEPA process. Haven't heard any explanation for why the administration is taking that position and, and why, frankly, they're not moving more aggressively to replace those rules. They're doing something similar with the rules under the Clean Water Act which we know are, are really bad rules because according to data that the Corps of Engineers has developed, uh, the Trump rule, which revised the scope of, of protection under the Clean Water Act, has threatened 80 percent of the waters in the United States and over 50 percent of the wetlands. So we know those rules are no good uh, for the environment. And yet again, the Biden administration is telling the courts, don't vacate, don't overturn the Trump rules, we're going to engage in in what Administrator Regan has called a stakeholder process and to try to reach some agreement with the opponents uh, of the Clean Water Act rules that uh, uh, the Obama administration had adopted. So, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be a situation where the Biden administration is going to be weighing each one of these issues, apparently, with an eye towards the politics, an eye towards, of course, what they have to do legally to, to make these changes. But um, they're slowing down. They're slowing down.
0: How much of this is the politics, as you talked about the oil leases in Alaska, and how much is it not wanting to overturn what a prior administration did?
2: Well, some of it is, is legally is, is being you know, thought about in terms of, will the courts go along with the the rapid and sort of wholesale reversal of the Trump policies? I mean, you have to remember, Trump has now, I think, 240 uh, of his uh, judicial appointments are on the federal bench. And of course, we know three of them are on the Supreme Court. So there is some legitimacy to the Biden administration and the Department of Justice proceeding with some caution, you know, uh, as they make these changes. But leaving some of these rules in place with no announced deadline by which they're going to be changed, that's, that's concerning, I would say. And it may be that it's partly due to getting staffed up at these various agencies. I mean, we don't yet have uh, the new head of the Department of Justice Environmental Section approved. Um, this, um, this individual named Kim uh, has been nominated, but, but you know, with everything else going on in Congress, he hasn't been confirmed yet. So we don't really have one of the key people in the Biden administration that has to oversee all this litigation you know, that's going to be required to get resolved in order for the Biden rules to finally take effect.
0: We've talked about the oil leases in Alaska before, and I have to say I was very surprised because I thought that was one of the things the Biden administration would immediately try to get out of.
2: And you know, the thing of it is that that kind of a decision has such a long uh lead time. I mean, they're going to be developing that oil and gas for a very long time. 30 years maybe. So it's not just a one-off deal; it's, it's a major deal, um, and it has all kinds of environmental justice impacts because of the opposition—not uniform, but but a lot of opposition from the native uh, villages up there.
0: Well, he's... so yeah.
2: That was a that, that was a bad one.
0: Um. So all those oil leases are going through, or just some of them?
2: Yeah, uh, just some of them. It's just it's just this one particular, area. and it's true that this this national petroleum reserve was set up, of course, to develop the oil and gas. That's the whole point of it. So, you know, I, I get that. Um, and, and, you know, the administration would be, you know, they, they'd be risking perhaps some legal vulnerability if they were to completely, uh, you know, prohibit it. But, but they went in and defended um, the work that the Trump administration had done under NEPA, under the Endangered Species Act, um, and, um, you know, from what I have read, anyway, there's a lot of reason why that those environmental assessments are, are not good and need to be redone. And at least the Biden administration could have agreed to do that. But it, it went in and defended, you know, r- right down the line, everything that, that had been done by Trump.
0: Thanks so much, Pat. As always, that's Professor Pat perendo of the Vermont Law School. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. I'm June
1: Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.